Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight has a well-deserved reputation as one of the most helpful audiobook professionals in the industry today. Whether you're a new narrator or editor or a well-seasoned veteran, if you have a question about how to do something or where to find something, she can most likely either give you the answer or point you to a resource where you can find it. Karen Cummins, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Hi, Rich. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you, and thanks for the very kind words. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, I, I know that I am not the only one who knows you as a a um, curator of great resources for audiobook production. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Sure, yeah. So, uh, so thanks for coming into the Speakeasy. What are you having to drink tonight? Well, it's funny you ask me that because I actually don't drink. And the reason I don't drink, you'll probably find humorous, or I do, because uh, when I was in high school, my best, you know, the bad drinking stories always start when I was in high school. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, but my best friend and I tried something from her parents' liquor cabinet. And we, being the very bright girls that we were, thought that if you mix vodka and Sprite together, because they're both clear, then obviously this would taste very good. Oh, yeah. Well, it did not. <laughs> it was horrible. And so as I've never found anything that I thought tasted good that was alcoholic, I don't drink that. But being a girl of Atlanta, I have Atlanta's best beverage, the world's best beverage. Dare I name it? Yes, it is that elixir of choice, Coca-Cola. Ah, and I'm going to pop the Coke. top because I've been waiting for this all day. <laughs> well, now, see, I was I was thinking that because you were in the South, what you were about to say was sweet tea. Well, we do have sweet tea, but today it's incredibly hot in Atlanta and the humidity is way up and there's nothing better on a hot summer day than the original pause that refreshes Coca-Cola. <laughs> I totally understand that. Um, I will also say that here in Tucson, it's incredibly humid, but I know that you would laugh at me for saying that because I think that incredibly humid here in Tucson is somewhere around 50%, 60%, something like that. And well, that's I, getting up there. It, it's getting up there, but I know my friends on the East Coast are like, yeah, we live through 90 degree, 90%, and, uh, and so 50%, I laugh at your humidity. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, you have dry heat, and everybody says, yes, but it's a dry heat. Well, that's it's true. It's still like putting your head in an oven. It's still hot as hell, so it is. It's, <laughs> I it's, don't envy you that. It's normally dry heat, which, which we do like more. We do tend to appreciate that, but during monsoon, which technically starts middle of June, but really starts uh, typically around the 4th of July and goes for a couple of months, then we really do get regular humidity, even though it is far lower than what most people deal with. So anyway, it is humid today and uh, there may be some thunder crashing in the background. It's, it's Same a, here. It's a pretty low level monsoon day here, so I'm not sure whether we're going to get any rain or not. And we seem to be in this location here in Tucson where it could be pouring and flooding in Tucson proper, and here in the foothills, it will either be um, 
be dry or relatively dry, or we will get even more rain. So really highly variable. Anyway, so a little humid here too. I am also having a nice cool beverage, but it does have some alcohol in it. Something I, I thought it might. What, what would that be, Rich? Something I just made up today. I'm calling this the uh, sparkling chocolate cherry bomb. And it, it is um, cherry moonshine and creme de cacao. And a little bit of Montmorency tart cherry syrup, which is very concentrated cherry juice, topped off with some um, some San Pellegrino sparkling water. Well, you know, like I said, I've never found anything that I like alcoholic where I like the taste of it. But you might have made a convert out of me. That, <laughs> that sounded like a wonderful recipe. Uh, it, I'm actually pretty impressed with it. I This is way more sugar than I usually drink in an alcoholic beverage. But I saw the cherry moonshine and I thought, you know, I've had that for months and months for something else and I haven't made any of those lately. So I'm just going to see if I can uh, drain this, drain this jar a little bit. So, uh, well, that's... but pardon my ignorance, where does one get cherry moonshine? Oh, they have it at all the big stores. BevMo, uh, Total Wine is where I, I normally buy stuff. Um, oh, oh, so this wasn't from a still in your backyard Because <laughs> I... when you say moonshine to someone in the South, you know, we have a different vision of oh, that. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> no, it was not. I wish it was. I've actually looked into, um, doing some home distilling, which is illegal in most areas. Um, but but you can get some small. I think they're five gallon copper stills. Um, I've looked I've looked into it because I'm really kind of fascinated by the whole thing. And having grown up on mash and seeing the still that they had out of old medical equipment in the swamp, I've I've always just been fascinated with the idea that you could distill your own liquor. Uh, but hasn't happened yet. So in any case, that's the one. Uh, next time I see you in person, uh, whether it's APAC or someplace else, I will see if I can find the right ingredients and make you one, see what you think of it. I'd love to at least <laughs> give it a taste. I'm open to new things. All right. Well, cheers. Thanks for coming in. Cheers. Thanks for having me. All right. So, uh, so Karen, where are you from? I'm from Atlanta. I'm oh. actually living about 25 miles from the hospital in which I was born. No kidding. So born, <laughs> born, bred, raised, and still living in the same area. Still still here. Uh, my husband and I actually had been thinking of a move to Florida. And we are about to make a move, but it's actually to a house about 10 miles away from here. So, so re relatively we'll, close. We'll still be in the, still We're the, like the last Atlanta natives you'll ever meet. <laughs> Well, Atlanta's a big place. I don't know about that. There's got to be a few other people there who've been there for a uh, while. Eh, maybe one or two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We're, I think, now fourth in the nation in terms of the worst traffic behind I, I New could, York, L.A., and Chicago. I could believe that. Or uh, Houston. I, I think Houston actually is ahead of us in, instead of Chicago. But yeah, we're we're definitely getting bigger. I read a statistic the other day that the county that I live in has almost a million people in our county, and we therefore are larger than several small states. Mm, yeah, um, that is that is true. I know that if you look at like the Dakotas, uh, Wyoming places up in that type of area and others, um, the population is less than a million. Yeah, so it's it's getting bigger all the time but you know we love it here we it's not just that we are from here and our parents were here they both sets have, have now passed on but we love everything that's here there's every convenience that you could want is here 
And if we want to go anywhere in the world, Delta's ready when we are. I know I sound like a commercial for all the Atlantic <laughs> companies, but they're some very big companies headquartered here for good reason. There's you know great cost of living here. We actually have a true four seasons. Sometimes we have them more than once in the same year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we'll go summer, fall, summer, summer, fall, summer, then winter. Yeah. You know, there's no, sometimes it's pretty extreme changes, but, you know, we have every major sports team. We have all the shopping you could want. And I believe we, that at this point, um, the Atlanta airport is the largest in the world. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And the busiest, it, and I maybe that sure maybe that was the it difference. the the busiest. I, I don't well, think it was largest in terms of um, of square footage, but I believe that it in in a couple of different metrics, it's measured as the largest in the world. Well, they'll they'll tell you it's the largest, whether it's true in the square footage or not, but definitely in busiest in terms of flights in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've had that rating for many years. We kind of go back and forth between us and O'Hare, but. Of course, it's always Atlanta, I yeah. think. But, <laughs> so, but you, so you're from there and you're living there now. Did you um, stay there the whole time? Did you go to go away to school anywhere? No. <laughs> nope, stayed there I the whole time. A, huh? I, I went to a, a, a commuter college, um, Georgia State, mm-hmm. for both bachelor's and master's degrees. And Drew went to Georgia Tech. So even he didn't go away for college. And I mean, it was just... Really great. I've always been very family oriented. And like I said, our, our parents were, were still here. And it would have been hard for us to move away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and especially with him. He's an only child. And yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, I had, a, I had a great time growing up here. The, I had lots of friends. I was in the marching band in school and I loved that. And I, I liked going to school. And, and so it just one thing has progressed into another. Yeah, no, and I'm just still great. here. So, what did you do when you were uh, you were at college, even if it was local? I believe it or not, always wanted to go into voiceover. This started in fifth grade. Wow. <laughs> I my my writing career, such as it is, also started in fifth grade. I had a poem published in the We Wisdom magazine. And I also won a writing contest, and this contest was because my class had gathered money and S&H saving stamps, which shows you how old I am. <laughs> I to, remember them well. Yeah, to buy our county its first police helicopter. This was a school-wide, a district-wide school project, but my class raised the most money and, and funds toward that purchase. So everybody in my class got to submit their idea the name for the helicopter. And I wrote the winning essay. It was the DeKalb Eagle. And I had historical facts about how the eagle being important to the nation's symbol and what it means and just different things. And they picked my essay as the winning essay. That's great. And one of the things that I won was to do a PSA on TV. And I remember going to the TV station and reading off the teleprompter and I only got to see this PSA one time when it aired and once there in the TV station. And I remembered, I don't really like how I looked on TV because I was looking up at the teleprompter. It wasn't at eye level. I was looking right. up in my, my lovely cat's eye glasses. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really like that, but I really liked the reading aloud. I really liked that part. And I've always read aloud. I've always read cereal boxes and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so after that experience, I wanted – 
to do something with voice. I wanted to either be a cartoon character, of course, every kid does, right? or a talk show host, or, and this was the one I really wanted, to be a baseball play-by-play announcer. <laughs> That's Which, great, but I'm, but I'm sure that in school there was, I mean, there's none that I no. know of. There are no programs specifically for voice acting. Well, no, and especially back then. And uh, I went to community college first, and I got my associate's degree. In fact, I started that when I was still a senior in high school. I had enough credits to graduate at the end of my junior year, but I thought, oh, senior year, oh, that's so important. Well, I went one quarter, and I said, screw this. This is stupid. <laughs> and so so I started college even before I officially graduated from high school, but I went into a broadcasting program, and I thought, well, this is all I'm going to need. Mm. It wasn't all I needed, and plus my parents really wanted me to get a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. So I got my bachelor's in broadcast journalism, even though my mother always said, you need to go to tech and be an engineer. You can't make enough money in journalism. I don't know if she kind of foretold how the whole radio thing was going to go. You know, with it's the definitely a different world now than it was then. Yeah. But also, but also doing the broadcast thing, I know that uh, for a lot of people who were in radio broadcasting, you know, disc jockeys, whatever the the on-air thing was, it can be difficult to go into actual voice acting. Well, at the time, I thought that was the only path to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, that's not the only path. And that's not quite how I did it, because I, I got married in 1981, and I got mar- uh, divorced. I probably shouldn't give years, but I, I got married <laughs> then. Nobody can hear and that. I got, it's just you I and got, me. <laughs> yeah, and anybody else you might listen. But anyway, I, I, got, I got divorced within two years after that because it turned out my ex-husband was gay. Uh, and I didn't know that. And that's a whole other story for a whole other show. Yeah. But I, I bring this up because I was finishing school my, so my last two years of school, I was working full time. I was going to school at night. And the only time I could do my internship was on the weekend. And so in my last quarter, I did an internship at WCNN, which was carrying CNN headline news. Mm. And i that's where I actually met Drew. And they only had one spot on the weekends. And so when I finished college... They let him go because he was a board operator, and they hired me as a weekend reporter. But there were a lot of downsides to being a weekend reporter, uh, not the least of which was the money, but working every holiday and nothing extra. But the the real thing was I was very inexperienced, and the, the program director was new, and he was trying to really put this radio station on the map. Every news break, so we ran CNN headline news, and then we had local news. And every news break after the local news, he would call the weekend anchor, and he would give her this long critique of everything she had ever done wrong. And, I mean, she was about to have a nervous breakdown. Wow. And you're thinking, do I really want to go that direction? (laughs) Yeah, I could see that he would soon turn his attention to me. Mm -hmm. And I, meanwhile, I'm still working a full-time job. And I, because I'd gotten divorced, I needed more money in the full-time job. Drew was in computer science, and he coached me on a job as a programmer. Because hmm. I took a long detour from the whole original dream in fifth grade to getting actually doing voiceover. Mm-hmm. 
they hired me as a programmer. I actually beat out 200 people for this programming job, even though I had never used a computer, because they said they, they knew I could learn the technical skills, but I had the communication skills. Mm, that Yeah, that's important. It is. And so I actually went on like a almost a three-decade odyssey into information technology. Wow, that's really interesting. So, so you went from broadcasting into uh, IT, spent quite a bit of time there, and then ended up doing what you wanted to do to begin with. So how did you finally make the transition to get into voiceover? It's, it's all an evolutionary process because when I got the programming job, I actually loved it. I have a natural affinity for it. I'm logical, I'm analytical, I'm organized, I'm detail-oriented. And at first it was great. And I thought, well, there's a lot of things I don't know. Maybe I should go back to school. So that's why I went back and got my master's in computer information systems. But by, uh. the, time, by the time I finished my master's, I had progressed up the chain and I was no longer a programmer. I had been a programmer, then a programmer analyst, then I was a manager. And then I became a specialist in a regional office when they didn't have computers and I was their only computer person. And they didn't understand computers. Mm-hmm. And, well, it just was so stressful. So I remember going to the employee assistance program, and I told the guy, I think this job is killing me. And he said, if you think that, it probably really is. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he encouraged me to look for another job, and I thought, I'm too tied to the money. I couldn't, like so many people, I needed the income I was making from that job. I couldn't leave it. Golden handcuffs. Exactly. But I saw Barbara Sher, who's, I think, the original life coach on an episode of Oprah at about the same time. And Barbara had a book called I Could Do Anything If I Only Knew What It Was. And I went through that whole book. <laughs> a great title. Oh, it is. Oh, and she's, she's absolutely wonderful and so insightful in helping you figure out what's important to you and how to get it in your life. And so in reading that book, I realized this dream of voiceover was still there. And I thought, well, if I start volunteering for the Georgia Radio Reading Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped, maybe that's all I would need to do. That would allow me to live my dream but still make the money from the job. And is, but, and is that service mostly audiobooks? Well, they, they did have audiobooks, and they, they still do. And I'm, I just recently started volunteering for them again after a 20-year hiatus. I volunteered for five years. But they, they did – they do audiobooks, they do magazines, they do live reads of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, they do mm-hmm. local newspapers throughout the state mm-hmm. so that the, their constituents can hear things that are local for them as well as national and regional news. So they do all those kinds of materials. And I did that for five years, And but it's really the more I did, the more I wanted to do. That's great. So so you were right all along and, um, and going – doing that type of work sort of, um, cemented that for you that, yeah, exactly. that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And I found a voiceover coach, Paul Armbruster, who was here in Atlanta, who sadly has passed on in the last couple of years, but he was doing a workshop that he'd do it four or five times a year. And he'd have, I think we had groups of eight people and it was either six or eight weeks of weekly classes. I, I can't remember right off, but it was a, it wasn't one of these 
three hours, everything about voiceover, and now you're ready to make a demo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We would do different kinds of scripts and different kinds of reads, and he would coach us all. And at the end, he would tell you whether he thought you were ready to do a demo. And he didn't tell everybody they were because they weren't always ready. Mm-hmm. But I was ready, and and he said I was ready, and, and it took a lot of time for us to get together, but we finally – did the demo. And so in 1999, while I'm still working that day job, I started voiceover. That's great. So that sounds like, uh, just a, a great way to, you know, slowly ease into what you thought you might want to do. You found out you can, you still wanted to do it. And then did you keep going in the direction of audiobooks, or was there other voiceover work, commercials, narration, whatever, um, along the way? Well, there were, but I my love has always been with audiobooks because in the mid nineties, I was listening to audiobooks way back when. Oh yeah. And back I, in the books I, on tape days. Yeah. When they really were tape. Yeah. But there was one I was listening to that Frank Muller narrated and I wrote him an email. I found his info and I wrote him an email, just a few questions of where did he get the books and did he go to a studio to record? Because see, I was trying to figure out how I could do this if I still had the day job. Mm-hmm. And this was before I had my workshop with Paul Armbruster. And Frank wrote me back a very encouraging email, very warm and wonderful. And he just said, you know, keep keep with it. Just keep sticking with it. Because even though opportunity wasn't available then, I guess maybe he could see it coming. But when I had the workshop with Paul Armbruster, another thing opened my eyes. He had a computer where he was doing auditions at home. Now he was faxing them to his agent, but he was recording them there in his house. And I thought, oh, if he can do that, I can too. Mm -hmm. So I have always had a home studio. I've had a home studio since 2000, I think, or maybe even later 99. 2000 is pretty early in the home studio days. I know, I mean, I know that some uh, people that were way, way, way high up the food chain had them back then, but that, that was pretty early because that was uh, just before I started taking workshops for voiceover and they were just introducing a tech class, a tech workshop where I was taking workshops and virtually nobody that was, you know, pretty far down the food chain had any kind of a home studio. It was just coming in and within five years totally changed the landscape. That's true. That is exactly how it was. But I was one of those people. I wasn't high on the food chain. And but, but you were an early probably adopter. Probably still not. <laughs> no, but, but you were an early adopter. That's great. So you've, you've been aware of all the things, all the challenges of a home studio for a long time. Yes. And I... Part of my IT background, though, has helped because I have never had any fear of equipment. I researched equipment. My first studio was on an Akai DPS, and I had to use a CD writer to even get it off of that. Hmm. So it wasn't – and then I would go onto my computer and edit in Cool Edit Pro, which later became Adobe Audition. Right. But – there weren't really good interfaces between your mic and the computer back then, or, or they were, they were probably were good. I should say there weren't really things that were affordable. No, it was difficult to find that. Yeah. I remember I had a hard time because I had a decent, uh, computer, uh, desktop, 
but finding a sound card that I could use with it or even an external interface that I could plug in, you have to make sure you have this, you have to make sure you have that, and now everything is just USB, boop, you're done. So uh, things have definitely changed in that way. But I, I totally hear you on the IT background having uh, a positive impact. For me, it wasn't just the equipment, it was, and probably for you too, it was, it's the software. Yes. I, know, I know that for a lot of people, the software is a big stumbling block. And there are, yes. there are great people out there like uh, Don Barnes for Studio One. And uh, I can't think of, of the other names. There's somebody who posts a lot for Adobe Audition. Um, technical things, and there are forums for that as well. And so the information is out there, but even if the information is there, a lot of people who haven't done a lot of technical things, it can be a big challenge. And I feel very fortunate, as I'm sure you do, that for me that wasn't that much of a challenge because of the work I had done before this. Absolutely agree. And I have a blog article of seven places to learn audio editing that lists some of those and links to some of those resources you mentioned. And I also have one about three ways to increase your computing power. And one of them is shortcut keys. Mm -hmm. Because if you know how to copy and paste in Microsoft Word, you know how to do it in Pro Tools. Mm -hmm. You know, so a lot of these keys are transferable skills between applications. And I think that's a light bulb that kind of makes it easier for people to at least wade further in, like, well, I know how to do this, so I can apply this over here and do something else. Yeah, absolutely. So so that's great. So you had the IT background, you get into it, and then uh, you start doing audiobooks. Um, What what have you done in the way of different genres within audiobooks? Uh, Fiction, nonfiction, any specific genre within fiction? Well, when I first started, I did some, they were historical... They were historical fiction that were very religious. I mean, they were kind of sermonizing. Mm-hmm. And that would not be my favorite book. And I, I actually started, I've never done an audiobook in somebody else's studio. So even in 2002, when I did my first commercial one, it was from my studio. I had to send it to them on DAT. That shows you how long ago that was. <laughs> DAT, yeah. But, <laughs> but um, so... And and I have to say that for like the mid 2000s, I kind of walked away from audiobooks because the company I was working with on those first books went out of business and they lost the rights to the the last book I was doing for them. It, a week away when I was ready to turn it in, I had edited it and I was oh so close to turning it in. They lost the audio rights and because they had delayed and there'd been delays on my end and there was bad communication on both sides. I'll be the first to admit. I had lost my father and I, you know, I just let some things slide and I admit that, but it it just left a bad experience in my, with me. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of walked away from it for several years. My job was really busy by this time as well. I was even, even busier, but because I was still on that day job, Mm -hmm. that, that thrival job, because Mm -hmm. I, I will say it, let me have the money and vacation time to do what I wanted to do. Right. But I, so I kind of walked away from it because part of the problem in the mid 2000s was if you didn't live in New York or LA, you really couldn't work in audiobooks. It wasn't a big enough market that publishers wanted to take a chance on somebody they didn't know when yeah. they had all the talent they needed right there. Yep. Because uh, I would tell them, you know, I could fly there, but that that didn't really 
sway anybody. So it wasn't really until ACX came on in 2011 when, and I was a beta tester for them. Oh, that's that, great. So you heard about that coming in early. Yeah. That's great. Oh, yeah. I, I still remember the phone call when they talked about it. I was so excited to be included in this. And that's what really gave me a lift and a way back into audiobooks because it's always what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And my favorite genres, you know, I love a good cozy mystery or a sweet romance because I'm picky about what I'll narrate. I the, I know it's acting, but the words are still coming out of my mouth. It's mm-hmm. still my experience shaping my interpretation. Yeah, absolutely. And I won't narrate things that have a lot of graphic sex or graphic violence. I check the Amazon look inside to see how many curse words are in the text, even before I audition. Mm-hmm. But cozy romances, and I mean cozy mysteries and sweet romances, don't have those things. They are a good, well-written story that's just clean and wholesome, and usually they have a good bit of humor with mm-hmm. them and great dialogue. Yeah, the, so, co- the cozy mysteries I know they have, they typically have quite, the good ones, the well-written ones, have quite a bit of humor in them. And, um, and yeah, they don't have any profanity or anything like that. I know that that's a, I mean, I, I assume that it is a, you know, smaller subset of the bigger mystery market. Uh, I'm not sure about the sweet romance. I don't know how big of a market that is. I know that romance in general is huge, but I don't know how big that market is in terms of a subset. I have to imagine that it's probably pretty popular. You'd think that, but it seems to me that the trend is for the spicier, mm. for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. text that with more details than I want to narrate. We'll just put it that way. Sure, yeah. But if I, you're, I think but, that's... Yeah, but if you're upfront with the publishers and with rights holders and whoever you're dealing with, um, I can't imagine that's a, that's a big problem. Well, but it just, it to me, it's hard to find a good, sweet romance. Mm. And, and in part because some people think that I need to sound a lot younger. I sounded this way when I was a lot younger. So mm-hmm. <laughs> as yeah. far as I'm concerned, so, it, you know, there's there's some of that playing into it too. But from a nonfiction perspective, I love to read biography and history. This is my favorite genre. of. I mean, I, this is what I read in my spare time. Every day I'm reading a book and I'm listening to an audio book. And if I'm reading, it's usually nonfiction, history, or biography. So if I get to narrate in those genres, that's it's like heaven because I would have been reading this anyway. That's great. So of the books that you've narrated, how, how are you, do you know how you're split between fiction and nonfiction? It's a lot more of the fiction side and particularly in the mysteries. That's probably my strongest or the longest number or whatever you call it. Sure, and I was yeah. thinking like I, the, the, the analogy I was trying to get to, like if you were dealing out cards of a deck, that would be my strong, strong suit. suit. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like you'll uh, definitely be working more in nonfiction if that's the direction that you want to go. It is. And one that I have licensed was Road to Terra, The Life of Margaret Mitchell, and that was a true passion project, and that was nonfiction. And I'm looking to do more of that kind of work, but, you know, certainly keeping opportunity open to work with authors and publishers on other projects. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's that's great. So it sounds like it's just the um, profanity and sex. Is there anything else that you're 
that you're that you would say no to if somebody if a publisher came to you and said we'd like you to narrate this graphic violence mm, also violence, right, political yeah. views that don't match mine ah. because i can't be convincing yeah, that's a tough one. That's that's one that there there are two things there. A, do you want to have your name on it? And B, no. and B, could you be convincing if you were actually acting it? Because I've I've heard both. Uh, people say I'll narrate anything. I I might use a pseudonym, but I have I would have no problem narrating something because it's voice acting, and I I respect that. I look at it slightly differently. Um, I would have a hard time doing it um, just internally. But it's also you have to you have to ask whether or not you would be convincing as an actor, um, putting the words out there that you completely disagree with. So good to know that. that. That's that's exactly how I feel, Rich. I think I would be adding subtext that wasn't there. Mm-hmm, yeah, I would. <laughs> I might be saying something in the most sarcastic or snarky of manners that that's not what the author intended. And I, I couldn't be convincing. And plus, I don't want to use a pseudonym. If I can't put my real name on it and be proud of it under my real name, then I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that people have their own reasons for having pseudonyms, and I'm not knocking anyone who does. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that. But, you know, we all have to make our own decisions and run our business the way that's best for us. And for me, part of my authenticity is that if it is something I want to do, I will have my name on it. Yeah, no, I understand. And and I see uh, both sides and I I don't have any judgment one way or the other when I find out somebody will or won't have a pseudonym. Um, when I hear that somebody has a pseudonym, I know that there are perfectly good business and personal reasons Absolutely. To, to use a pseudonym for certain things. And I also hear you're, you're not the only person I've spoken with who has said, um, for me, I, I don't that's not what I want to do. That's not going to work for me personally. And I totally respect that too. So I think that everybody has their own reasons to run their business, however they see fit. And, um, in all, but very few cases, I'm, I think they're all very valid. So, so I couldn't agree more. So that's, uh, that's where we're at in terms of your narration. Um, the, the fact is though, that you are very well known in, uh, certain, Facebook groups and places online for being a wealth of information uh, on all things audiobook, whether it's listening, um, narrating, finding a coach, uh, marketing, all kinds of different things. So when did you start getting all of the information that you now are so good at pointing people to um, when it comes to audiobook work? I have to back up because it didn't start with audiobooks. It it actually started on the day job. And one thing I want everybody to know is every moment has meaning. So even if you don't think what you're doing, if you're having to work a day job while you're doing voiceover part-time and you think this has nothing to do with what you want, every moment has meaning. And so something you're doing today is going to affect or your knowledge or your ability at some point in the future. Okay. And just as an aside, Al Gore is a big uh, analogy of that because who knew when he was vice president and didn't get the election to run his way that his everything he knew about the environment would lead him on a whole different path and he's actually more effective not being president because he could he could put out the movie, he could do all the talks, he could do the book mm-hmm. all on the environment. So – you know, he probably didn't predict that for his future either. And that's I, I, I like that story as an analogy because 
way back on my day job, one of the things that I had to do, I was a computer network administrator. Mm -hmm. So I had to teach all the people how to use the software, how to use their hardware. And I kept seeing the same questions. They would come to me with the same questions. Oh, so it wasn't so, <laughs> it wasn't so much the information. It was the knowledge that there are going to be people looking for the same information over and over. Right. And so it, back on my day job, I started writing a software tip of the week. And I did that for 273 consecutive weeks. <laughs> wow. That's over, over five years. And if people didn't give me questions, I researched questions that I thought they would want to know, things that would help them. So I've always been this way. I've always been, you know, I love to research and I love to, because I learn it too. I mean, I think like when I had to research things for the computer users, I didn't know that. Oh, that's a cool thing. So I would learn it too. And that's that's really where it started. And then with audiobooks, it it you know, it's kind of the same sort of thing. I, I kept seeing the same sorts of questions coming up. And it's kind of like find a need and fill it. Mm -hmm. And I saw the need and I decided to fill it. And it it's kind of like when I said that I was volunteering and the more I did, the more I felt compelled to do mm -hmm. in terms of voiceover. That's the same with my curation of information about audiobooks. The more I've done, the more I feel called to do more. Well, that's great. I can tell you that I personally and I know many other people are very, very thankful that you have put together so many great resources. Um, so what is, give me an example of something that you learned along the way as you were researching information to put into a fact or a blog post or something to help other people out where you thought, wow, I'm really glad I took this on. Just even publishing a, an audiobook through ACX that's a public domain book. Everybody said it couldn't be done. Well, it can be done. You just have to figure out how to do it. And I did figure out how to do it. And so I wrote a blog post about it. That's great. So that was something that that you were looking into for everybody and it ended up helping you out personally as well. Well, I was in, I was looking into it more for me mm. and, uh, and, and licensing rights is the same sort of thing. I was looking into it because I wanted to know the answer and I figured if I want to know the answer, there are other people who want to know the answer. Right. right. And so that's why I had a webinar with Jessica Kay, who is a Grammy winning, uh, she won the Grammy this year for Carrie Fisher's autobiography, but she's Grammy winning producer and director. And she's also an audiobook distributor. She's a information attorney, a proprietary information attorney. Um, wow. A lot of different jobs there. Yeah. So that's why we did the webinar on audio rights and because I, it was something I wanted to know. And like ACX, the things, a lot of things come up with ACX. A lot of people haven't read the whole contract or they don't know where to look because a lot of the information is kind of scattered. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very good at organizing and putting things in, in one place. I mean, I guess that's, I mean, I, I love to do that. And it's like, sometimes people will, <laughs> they'll ask, do you know so-and-so? And it's kind of like a personal challenge to me to see if I can figure it out, <laughs> like contact info for somebody. Right. It's, it's almost like a little puzzle. And, and so sometimes I go down the rabbit hole just for my own amusement and try to figure out something. But it, it really comes from a place of wanting to be helpful because I have had on my, I've had a website 
since I know 2002 and I think 2001, but I have had a help page on my website since 2002. And I know this because I found a copy of it on archive.org on the Wayback Machine. Oh, yeah. And because people would ask me how to get into voiceover. And so even back then, I, I've always had a help page on my site. I started my blog in 2006. And it's always been coming from a place of helpfulness because I think what you put out in the world comes back to you. Mm -hmm. And it's going to come back in a time and a place and from a way you don't expect. Yeah, you never know where it went. <laughs> Yeah. No, and so, and that's why I won't criticize somebody else's voice or whatever they're doing because I don't want it to come back in an audible review that somebody hates my voice. <laughs> because I really think what we put out comes back to you, and so I, I think if I help somebody today, somebody will help me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So, uh, so what are some of those resources that you had? You said that you've got a blog on your website. Um, what what other things would you? sort of generally right now without actually giving out URLs, but what types of things that you have worked on would you point people to? I'm always pointing people in general to my blog. I write both for authors and for narrators, but then I'll also, depending on what they're asking, point them to specific articles that answer that question. Mm -hmm. I have Twitter list of, I think the most people in audiobooks on Twitter, I have several of them. I have all audiobooks, which is a conglomeration of the other list. One is a list that's just reviewers. One is another one that is only people who work for audiobook publishers. There's one of narrators. So every time I find a new person in one of those categories, I add them to my Twitter list. That's great. I had never thought about using Twitter lists in, in that way. Well, and it's fantastic because then I can just solely focus on audiobooks. Mm -hmm. I can look at the list and and scroll down and see every person that I'm seeing something from is somebody connected with audiobooks and it gives me more opportunity to retweet something or ask them something or just even learn something myself who's doing what and keeping up with what's going on. Yeah. Well, that's great. I I will definitely um at the end here, I'll definitely get your uh, website, your Twitter handle, all that stuff, and, and put it in the show notes as well. Um, so um, what what are your plans going forward when it comes to audiobooks? Are you going to be focusing on narration? I assume from everything that you've said that and that you get so much um, – that you feel so good about the helpful stuff that you're doing that you have no intention of abandoning that. But what's your main plan? Narration? Uh, do you plan on going into any kind of business or marketing coaching or anything else? Well, I already do consulting I've, with authors and with narrators. And it, it's that's kind of grown out of people would send me questions and it, it got to be where I was getting so many that I, I just couldn't keep up. So that was kind of the way I separated that. Mm -hmm. if, if I can answer it quickly or, you know, just point somebody to something, I will. But if it takes me more than a couple of minutes or, well, 10 maybe, I, you know, I would charge for it. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Um, because and, and I know that there are um, various conversations about this online, about somebody offering to, you know, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Well, you know, how long it's going to take me to get there and give you information is worth yeah. a hell of a lot. My time is worth a lot more than a cup of coffee. So totally, exactly. totally fair to offer that as, as a service that people can pay for. But it's, it's funny we're talking about this because 
obviously I want to continue my narration. I, I love being a narrator, but I don't want to narrate eight or 10 hours every day. If I had wanted to maintain that kind of workload, I would have stayed at the day job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I like the variety that I have where I, I am I am narrating, I am writing, I am doing this information curation. And uh, Anne Flosnick is one of my dearest friends, and she's been a mentor to me in many ways. And she has been urging me for years that I should be paid for my expertise. Mm -hmm. And I've been resisting that the whole time, uh, in large part because, A, I, I do things because I can and I want to be helpful. But B, somebody wrote me, oh, it's been several years, but it, it really meant a lot to me that somebody said to me, you seem to be the only person on the internet who is providing information and not trying to sell people something. <laughs> And I really took that to heart. And so I've kind of struggled with this. And, and, but I also know that people don't value what they get for free. Often very true. <laughs> and what I have decided to do is I'm, I'm actually in the design phase of a new narrator resource that is like everything I've ever done but on steroids. It's taking everything I've ever done to a whole nother level. And I'm really excited about it, but I don't want to talk about it too much because it's I don't have a launch date. I don't have details I'm ready to share, but I've got plans. Let's just say it that way. And, and it's That's a way great. where I can still I can still offer help for free, but I can add a premium level for people who want to pay for it. That's fantastic. Um, I'm sure that I'm not the only one who is going to be eagerly awaiting an official announcement, which I'm sure you will make in all the appropriate places. <laughs> I will. When the time is right, when I actually have something for show and tell, I will. That's but great. Yeah, it, it sound, sounds like a, a perfect fit for you. It, it really is, and it, it allows me to have the variety I want. Because if I'm not narrating, I'm not necessarily thinking oh, I'm so sad. I'm not in front of the microphone. Right, right. You and know, so when I'm doing it, I really love it. But if I'm not doing it every second of every day, I'm okay with that too. So I forgot to ask earlier, you've, you've talked about the day job that you had. So at this point, are you entirely all in focused on the, the voiceover, the audiobook work, or do you have any other type of day job or part-time job or anything like that? No, I'm all in, and it's all audiobook. And in fact, I defied conventional wisdom by telling my voiceover agents not to send me voiceover jobs anymore. Wow, yeah, that definitely defies <laughs> conventional wisdom. <laughs> because I I don't want to have to be sitting around waiting for you know the the tight short fuse deadlines of commercials and chop to it. Well, again, if I wanted to do that. I could have stayed at the day job and been at somebody else's beck and call. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that. And then like e-learning, I, I really didn't like uh, having to, the way I was dividing the files up, it just was, it was just time consuming and it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I thought, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Fair so enough. So I am, I am all in, it's, 
all audiobooks, I'm kind of like Forrest Gump talking about, you know, his friend Bubba Gump talking about the shrimp. I'm kind <laughs> of that way on audiobooks. Drew and I think that every meal we have should be tax deductible because audiobooks come up at every meal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are quite a few of us who feel that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, yeah. I'm I'm totally into the, the whole thing. And, you know, I read about who's doing what in the business and who is making things happen. I'm, you know, listening to books every day. I mean, I'm just totally immersed in the whole audiobook world. That's great. So what advice would you have for uh, everybody out there who is thinking either I want to get into audiobooks or so I've barely gotten into audiobooks and I'm not sure what to do now or maybe even some seasoned veterans? Nothing's going to happen as fast as you think it will or as fast as you hope it will. <laughs> what, what a great, succinct way to put that. <laughs> <laughs> and believe me, I know. And I have I have spent so much time and it's wasted effort to be fretting about what's not happening. Because even though it may look like something's not happening, as long as you're nurturing the seed of the dream – it's something is happening in the unseen that you don't know, and but it's going to take a while. And we don't know how long it's going to take. You know, people always say, enjoy the journey, but that just sounds trite. Uh, I look at it more from a law of attraction standpoint and maintaining a positive attitude. And so I've had to learn to use affirmations like I am right where I'm supposed to be because you have to kind of rewire your brain because the negative thoughts come. We can't help it. You can't mm -hmm. help that first thought, but you can help the second one. And so rather than getting in this negative spiral of, oh, nobody's hiring me or they don't know I exist or they don't like me, whatever it is, that first one comes and you have to kind of retrain yourself. No, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm learning things every day that are going to help me tomorrow and I'm one day closer to that job coming to me that I want, that that ideal book, that publisher, whatever it is that you think is missing, it's it's on its way. You just have to maintain that unshakable faith that whatever you want is on its way. And so I have found that having affirmations is helpful. Um, <laughs> when I was young, people would pick on me and my father would always tell me, oh, just ignore it. And I would say, well, how? How do I ignore it? I'm standing right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and a lot of people I've noticed get very upset about reviews. And so there are ways to kind of combat that too. That, you know, we all seen, it's just one opinion, but I, I like taking action steps of write down 10 things you've accomplished in your life and, and 10 skills and talents that you have. And 10 times that you've solved a problem or overcome adversity. Because the whole point is you need to feel, and when I say you, I'm including myself in this. This is my life lessons that I'm continuing to learn. Mm -hmm. To feel good about ourselves, to attract what we want into our lives. And if you get a good review, capture it and and the good comments people say, put it in a document. And Because I have a praise folder. And so when people say nice things about my work, I, I Put them there, and if I'm having a day when I'm feeling like nobody's paying attention or things aren't happening, I can look at that and I can see, well, I am making progress and somebody did enjoy that book and things are happening. But Scott Brick had a great quote that 
I love this, and I, I wanted to share it, that he said, silencing that inner critic is the most important job we do, and it's more important than any of the skills we have. Nothing you do in your nuanced performance is going to be as important as telling that fucking inner critic to shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I'll have that to... is a direct quote from <laughs> from Mr. Brick. And I, I love that. It is, it is so perfect to uh, what we have. And just one more thought about that, the, it, or kind of that leads me to another thought, and that is the power of our words. I am very into the power of our words. And the more energy and emotion you add to your words, the more powerful they are. It's kind of like when you say, I'm sick, and you tell everybody, you know, oh, I'm sick, oh, I'm sick, I'm sick. Well, the more you say that, and the more you put that out to the world, then the sicker you're going to be. <laughs> and, and, and I think when people put things out on the internet, it's like you are broadcasting it into perpetuity. And so for that reason, I would advise people to not say things online. Don't, don't let any negativity that you're – we all feel negativity. We all have it. We all think it. Don't put it out there. Don't give it creative life, especially out on the Internet. I, I think it's much better to write in a journal. I write in a journal every day. And not only can you vent in a journal, and nobody's going to know. People aren't watching what you're saying there. But it's more important because you can plan and you can dream and you can see the progress you're making even when it looks like nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my little tidbits of advice. They're more the, the, the thought of, and the intention behind what you're doing as opposed to any kind of audiobook specific thing. I got to say, I think that that is all great advice, both yours and Scott Bricks. Um, I'll definitely ask him about that. He's going to be in here at some point soon, and uh, I'll, I'll bring that up, and, and maybe he can elaborate more. But, um, but I love the stuff about not putting negative stuff out there. I'm, you're absolutely right. We all have negative thoughts about ourselves, about other people, about people that we may have worked with, about people that we wanted to work with, and then they did something unprofessional about all of those things, right? And I see people post about this stuff, and I know that Johnny Heller, oh, yeah. John, Johnny Heller, has gone off on a few um, tirades about what are you people doing? Stop it! Stop! Stop putting things out there that are putting people down. You know, there are people reading what you write. There are people reading what you write that are going to um, take into account the fact that they saw you write something really negative about something in public, um, even if you're not being specific about who the person was not really the the best idea. So um and and because we all have those thoughts, myself included, it's a lesson that I've had to continue to learn and um I like to think that I am continually getting better about not doing that. Um but like everybody, I have those moments as well. So anyway, Well, I, we do. It's and it's what we do with them that matters. Mm -hmm. And and it's not just that other people are reading. I truly believe that the universe is paying attention. So today's thoughts are tomorrow's manifestations. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so if you're all the time talking about bad things, then they're going to keep showing up for you. Yep. And, you know, so you've, you've probably heard the, the saying, change your thinking, change your life. Mm -hmm. And Wayne Dyer, I used to listen to Wayne Dyer's programs, and he, he would say, when you change how you're looking at things, the things you look at change. And it's, it's 
So true, but there was one resource that I'd like to add on this whole power of words thing, and it's The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. And it's this is so hard. He says, speak with integrity, say only what you mean, avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. And that sounds so easy, but on a daily basis, it's so hard to do. Exactly. Yeah. It sounds like great advice and pretty easy to take. But then you find yourself in all these situations where doing all of those things is like the first thing you think of. So, but if you um, make the intention to yourself exactly. that I am going to be impeccable with my word and I am only going to say what I mean and mean what I say. Yeah. Then, then, then you, can, you, you can. You will think about these things. Yeah. And you can work towards getting better about all of that. Yeah, and, and the gossiping about other people, I mean, I, I don't even really like to do that in my journal because I think sometime after I've passed away and my foundation has my journals on display, somebody would be like, oh, see, she was gossiping about this person right here. <laughs> wow, now that's forward thinking. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't say it stops me, but I do think about it. Yeah, that's <laughs> But that's great. why I would never write any of these things online. Mm-hmm. I... I so many of these thoughts that people have online, I would say, write them in your journal. It, it's okay to get them out. I, you know, if they're really negative, writing them gives them power too. So you really have to think about the creative power of your words because words create everything. Wars have been fought because of words. Mm-hmm. So that would be the, the key thing. I If people didn't remember anything else, to just think of the power of your words and your ability to bring what you want into fruition is based on how you communicate and act to the universe about getting it done. Well, that is great. And I think it's a, it's a good place to end it on. So, uh, so Karen, where can people find you online for, uh, some of, some of the things that we talked about your website and uh, your Twitter handle, any place else that you think people should look for your stuff? Well, my website is my hub. It's Karen Cummins, C-O-M-M-I-N-S dot com. But I also own most of the misspellings to my name. So even if you (laughs) spell my name incorrectly, you probably still end up with me. And at the top of my website and also on the bottom are links to all of my social media sites, including Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Oh, great. And videos on YouTube and Pinterest. I. I'm not on all sites as much as others. I mostly like Twitter. And I'm on Facebook primarily for the narrator groups. I, I don't really look at my timeline that much. And um, But so Twitter and Facebook are probably my primary, so, and, well, some YouTube, so people primary can, social media. So people can get it from your website, but what is your Twitter handle just so people can hear it now if they want it? Karen Cummins. Oh, it's just your name? <laughs> I know it's so inventive and no, original. no, that's fine. That's fine. That's that's great that you had it that you had it available. Believe me, with a name like Rich Miller, not a chance for me. <laughs> so, Rich Miller, number eight hundred and fifteen. <laughs> yeah, more like eight hundred and fifteen thousand. I I had one one experience when I went into a doctor's office at one point, and you now you know now the doctors are are and the receptionists are better about asking for a date of birth to make sure that they have the right chart. 
Um, for me, it was, uh, it, it, I think it was when I was taking my dad in, who is also a Richard Miller, different middle name, but, um, they asked and it turned out that another Richard Miller with the same middle name, with the same birth date was seeing the doctor on that day. Wow. <laughs> so, that sounds like uh, the twilight zone. Yeah, it, it really was kind of odd. I thought, well, you know, I gave you the date of birth. Yeah, that's his too. Oh, man. Okay. So uh, anyway, at least Karen Cummins is a little bit different than that, but I, I do know that there are a few out there. So, uh, so that's great. Got all the contact info, and I will make sure to put that in the show notes as well. Can, can I offer one tiny more piece of advice? You sure, mentioned absolutely. birthdays. Mm-hmm. I wish everybody would take their birthday off of Facebook. Your birthday and your social security number are the two biggest pieces of information that people use to steal your identity. Ah. And I don't have my real birthday out anywhere, least of all Facebook. And if you're going on a trip, don't be posting, oh, I'm on a trip. Look at me having fun on this trip because all the criminals now could see they could find your house on Google Earth and they know you're not there. Call me paranoid, but... I think this might happen more than people realize. And so I always would err on the side of safety, particularly where your data online is concerned. I have heard uh, advice like that before. I think that it's getting harder and harder for people to do that or to feel comfortable doing that. But I do understand where that's coming from. And, and I don't have any stats on how often that happens where somebody actually gets that information. I assume that it still does, at least occasionally. Um, but I'm not going to call you paranoid. I think that, that that is reasonable advice. <laughs> well, especially after all of the Facebook data scandals after the election and how we finding people are just so shocked that other people are getting your information from Facebook. What? Yeah. Yeah. Every thing you're doing, you know, and your phone is tracking everything you're doing. Well, this is a whole nother show for, you know, whole other topic. <laughs> but I, I do see people giving away too much personal information online. And again, it goes back to being thoughtful and intentional about what you're doing and why. Mm-hmm. So if you're on social media for business purposes, as I am, cause I'm not really that social, uh, <laughs> then, you know, you think about, you know, why are you here? What, who are you sharing the info with? And, and, to maintain your privacy because it is an increasing problem. And so anytime I have an opportunity to alert people to that, I do. So thank you for letting me pass that on. Sure. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, it, like I said, I've heard that before. It's good advice. So again, thanks for coming into the speakeasy. I hope your Coke has been good. My, uh, my cherry, my chocolate cherry bomb is almost gone and, uh, I will have to keep this in the, in the lineup and see what my wife thinks of it. Well, and I look forward to tasting it at some point because it actually sounds like something I might like. But this is this has just been a joy and delight to talk with you, Rich. And I just thank you so much for inviting me and spending, letting me spend the hour with you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. So thanks for coming in. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Karen Cummins for stopping in. As a former database designer and administrator, it was great hearing how her career in IT had an impact on her journey into audiobooks and how her curation of audiobook resources sprang from weekly tech tips. If you haven't yet, you owe it to yourself to check out her resources. She's got a lot of great information. You can find the Audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the Audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. 
And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail on an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. I know you'll understand if you start hearing ads at the beginning or end of each episode, but I'm trying to avoid that, and your donations really do help. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!